It's Monday, April 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from my neck of the woods over on Fool.com, Evan New, and from Motley Fool Rule Breakers, Simon Erickson. Gentlemen, happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, Mark. We got plenty to get to today, including earnings from Corning and Pandora, but we begin with the pharmaceutical sector. Pfizer has confirmed that it's making a second pass at acquiring AstraZeneca in a deal that would be worth around $100 billion. Shares of both companies are way up today in response. Guys, a combined AstraZeneca-Pfizer would be the largest drug company in the world, but is it the right move for these respective companies? Right. So, Mark, starting off looking at this, let's just look at the massive amount of M&A that's going on already in mm-hmm. this year. We just, we just received news that there's already $1.1 trillion, with a T, uh, dollars of M&A already announced for, for 2014 thus far. Mm-hmm. And this would be a huge merger as well. Pfizer's about a $200 billion company right now. AstraZeneca about a $100 billion company. So this is a $300 billion com- combined conglomerate. Yikes. Um, you would have a massive R&D budget and a massive marketing budget for such an entity, which could really direct a lot of focus on a lot of, treating a lot of diseases out there. I think they could have quite an impact out there. But specifically, both of these companies right now are having growth problems. Hmm. Both Pfizer and AstraZeneca had revenues down about 6% last year. And they've got a couple of their blockbuster drugs that are coming off of, of patent. Right. Uh, we saw, obviously, Pfizer's got Celebrex, which is about a, about a billion dollars a year drug uh, for arthritis and pain, coming off at the end of 2014. AstraZeneca's got their Crestor, which is used for high cholesterol, uh, about $7 billion a year coming off in 2016. So they're both trying to find ways to grow. I expect uh, forward-looking on this, this consolidated entity, to really be to put this, this R&D powerhouse to work on trying to build out the platform. That's what I'm looking for going forward. Okay. That's going to be fun to watch. Uh, let's turn to earnings and kick things off with Corning, which reported earlier this morning. Shares of the company were up after it announced it beat EPS estimates by one penny, but net sales were up 26%. Evan, what are your thoughts on Corning? So, yeah, like you said, total sales were up 26%, which is a nice little top-line gain there. Um, the one thing that I'd noticed that was a little discouraging was that specialty materials didn't really grow last quarter, which is important because that's where Gorilla Glass is and that's what everyone... That's the only now. product I know. I mean, that's what everyone knows for Corning now is right. real guys. But the, the the reason I think the company said was that they're st- you know their customers had a lot of in- inventory buildup from 2012 that they're only only now are starting to kind of work through their supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is some seasonal t- seasonality to this too. And Gorilla Glass is expected to you know recover going into next quarter with uh, I think they said 20 25 percent growth sequentially ne- you know going into the second quarter. Every other segment did pretty nicely. The optical optical communications in particular I thought was pretty strong. Um, I think they're doing really, really well with some of their carrier network sales. Okay. So all that being said, shares right now, they're near multi-year highs. Are you waiting for a drop before diving in, or is the company strong enough that now's the time to buy? Well, Corning is, quite frankly, kind of a boring stock. <laughs> and I, I mean, they're also priced very cheaply. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I like the business. I mean, I'm probably not personally interested in it just because it's not the kind of stock I look for. But um, I, And I think Gorilla Glass has some potential threats in the medium to long term from like all the talk we've been hearing about Sapphire, like mm-hmm. Apple might you know catalyze the adoption of Sapphire and phones. I mean, still too early to call if that's going to happen or not, right. but it's definitely a risk factor that's on the horizon. And the company is you know, proactively getting ahead of that and trying to downplay that you know, as much as they can, but who knows how that's going to play out. Boring corning. All right. Uh, Let's look back at last Thursday when Pandora announced earnings. Shares were down after the company announced uh, a pretty good uh, quarter, despite uh, revenue growth looking pretty strong. Simon, 
run through the quarter for us. What did you like? What didn't you like? Yeah, Mark, market, the market really didn't like the earnings right. number. The stock sold off about 16% on Thursday, even though I agree with you, it's pretty good on the top line. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the business of Pandora itself, though, and not necessarily the one-day stock change. I think that still, fundamentally, this is a great company. Um, They're deriving money from advertisements that are focused on the number of users and the number of listener hours that people are giving to, to this website. Uh, the number of users for the, for the first quarter was up 8%. It's now 75 million people listening to Pandora. Not bad. And the listener hours were up 12% to get this mark, 4.8 billion hours in the first quarter alone. Wow. To put that into perspective, 4.8 billion hours is 500,000 years of combined listening, and it's also the equivalent of listening to Stairway to Heaven on repeat 600 million times. <laughs> so, just an, an, some, of the, some of the in-depth analysis we provide here. Aren't, the aren't there weird licensing issues around Led Zeppelin? Yeah. Do they, do they played <laughs> are they one of those i don't know if they, no, I, don't, I, I, don't, I thought that was one of those weird ones i'm not sure i, I had to punch a number a bunch of numbers in the calculator right, to figure out right. Guys, tough but, day of work uh, <laughs> but you know revenue was up 54 percent for the quarter the revenue per thousand so- songs was also up 34 percent 44 percent growth in mobile hmm. i think the pandora business itself is doing just fine let's not look at the one day stock drop i mean okay. the mobile is now three quarters of revenue which i think is nice that they're transitioning to mobile so well which is something that not all companies are doing well nowadays <laughs> you don't say yeah. i mean like, you know like simon said the you know, rpms are or going up very nicely. I, mean, I think that's going to be the key to profitability because their content costs scale up so much too that they need to be able to get more pricing in. And that's what they're doing. Right. What are your favorite Pandora stations, guys? Are you one of the 75 million listeners? And if so, what are you listening to? I don't listen to Pandora much anymore. You're not a Pandora I, I kind guy. of split now between iTunes Radio and Pandora, which yeah. is you know one of the risk factors that Pandora faces. Indi- I mean, indicative, I don't, yes. I don't listen to too much music nowadays. I just, you know... Old man new. No yeah, music for I'm, you. I'm an old man now. Yeah. Uh, Mark, all of the songs that I listen to are quickly becoming classic rock. Mm. You know, a couple decades removed here, so Old's I'm cool. trying to find a new station. I like Imagine Dragons these days. Okay, I like that. All right. Uh, moving right along. Research firm Kantar has released a report on global smartphone sales and market share over the first quarter of 2014. The highlight of the report has got to be Apple's impressive comeback in the Japanese, European, and Australian markets. Evan, where's Apple's strength coming from? So the uh, iPhone 5S is just really doing very well in these markets. Mm-hmm. Um, flip side is Microsoft is struggling, um, I think, because you know they're, they're, Microsoft is really targeting the low end, which is a kind of dubious strategy in my mind. I right. mean, no- Nokia is basically, you know, you know, playing really heavily in the low end, and Android is a very fierce competitor there. Mm-hmm. But Apple's doing really well in the high end. Um, Japan, in particular, I, I think is really impressive. I mean, on, on last week's call, uh, earnings call. Tim Cook did talk a lot about Japan and how how strong they are there. Mm-hmm. Um, just so they're at almost sixty percent market share in Japan, which is kind of crazy for a country where consumers wow. consumers highly prefer local brands like Sony and you know right. it is a, it's a, a cultural thing. Right. But here we have a U.S. company that's like owning the whole, the smartphone market uh, first. And on each carrier, for example, they're at forty two percent on NTT Docomo, fifty nine percent on KDDI, eighty one percent on SoftBank, Jeez. which is like you know kind of like. How Apple used to be on AT and T, which like said about eighty percent sales, right. but specifically within those, I think the Docomo number is really huge because Docomo is the biggest carrier. They just added them as the official carrier in the fourth quarter of last year for the first time ever, which is a huge win on the carrier front. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have something like 60, 65 million subscribers, so I mean that's a pretty big customer base. And now they're already starting to ramp up and really sell into the, you know the, you know that network. Um, phablets are still doing really well in China. Forty uh, percent of the sales are now five inches or bigger. So just another data point that it's about time for Apple to come out with a larger iPhone to right. kind of 
get on that trend now because I mean it's not stopping. iPhone six, iPhone six inches. That's right. <laughs> uh, now, one question I had looking at their support, I, I breezed through it. Um, but my question is about the U.S. The iOS market share uh, was down seven point eight percent this quarter, while Android's market share was up eight point three percent in the U.S. If you're Tim Cook, or if I'm investing in Apple, is that concerning at all? I did see that number too, and I thought that was a little interesting because I. You know, with all the strength that we're seeing with the iPhone beat last quarter, like I, I thought it was kind of weird that the U.S. did seem a little weak. But hmm. one thing I would point out, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be worried about it. Uh, first off, and the reason is because if you, I mean, these reports are only current sales, which give you an indication of where things are going. But if you look at uh, specifically in the U.S. for Apple, the installed base numbers, which are going to be different than like current sales, Apple is still something like forty percent of U.S. In smartphone installed base, mm-hmm. and they have a really strong upgrade cycle. So you know, quarter to quarter. You know, there was kind of a downtick in you know, Apple's market share and current sales in Q1 quarter and Kantar's numbers. But you know, the longer-term picture is that they still have such a rock-solid position in the U.S., and you know, I wouldn't be too worried about it on that end. Okay. All right. Uh, let's wrap things up with a look at a listener email. This one's from Kevin Costello, who says, Wondering if you could help me understand the valuation of some of these software-as-a-service companies I'm seeing. I don't understand how companies like Textura can be a $500 million company with only $30 million of revenue. There seem to be a ton of examples of companies like this valued at double-digit multiples to revenues. And I get that they're growing fast, but doesn't it feel excessive? Guys? Does it feel excessive? Sometimes. <laughs> it is, Mark. And, you know, that's not uncommon for a lot of these these software-as-a-service companies to get bought out at, at huge premiums, uh, price to sales rather than earnings, because a lot of them aren't even profitable yet. Mm. We saw Salesforce.com uh, buy out Buddy Media for social media at 19 times sales a couple years ago. You know, that's, that's not uncommon to see these ridiculously high numbers. But there's a couple reasons that they're paying such a high market premium for these companies. Uh, one of the first is they're already established. It's one thing to, from the ground up, build some kind of software-as-a-service platform uh, that takes a lot of time, a lot of money to do that. But even on top of that, you already have an established user base. And I think that's even more important because a lot of these companies want to scale that as quickly as they can. Mm. If they get some of their customers using a platform, they like it, they can scale that extremely quickly at a low cost and bring in a lot more revenue off of that. So that drops to the bottom line really quickly. Right. Um, just a couple of things that, you know, to, to kind of take a look at as you're looking at, at SaaS companies is, is, first of all, how fast is their revenue growing? How fast are they growing the top line? How fast are they growing their user base? And how many users do they have already? And then also, what is their niche? I mean, a lot of these have got some niche application or, or platform that they're good at. And that really makes a difference when, when you're looking forward for these guys. Okay. I'd add a few things, too. I mean, I think one thing to, that's important with these types of companies is that they use a lot of deferred revenue because, you know, you know like we're talking about, it's a service. So you also want to look at the deferred revenue as opposed to just the recognized revenue, and that'll give you some insight and some visibility into their future pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, Textura, I mean, deferred revenue last quarter jumped 82%, which is outpaced their recognized revenue growth. So, you know, just something to keep an eye on. Like, that gives you an idea of where they're heading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, Simon touched on this, too. But one of the things I always look at for specifically software companies is operating leverage. And, I, I mean, that's just one of my favorite things to look for in any company. But software and software-as-a-service companies inherently have that because they don't have a lot of variable costs, and software is just inherently very scalable. Mm. So I think that, you know, when you combine that with these top-line revenue growth numbers, investors are kind of – and the market's kind of baking that into the valuation of, like, Oh, if they can continue to deliver top line growth, then we could see some really meaningful margin expansion down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in general, so I think those are some of the things, and, and certainly also tech is just kind of more susceptible to hype. 
no. uh, as a sector than any other Say sector. It so my gosh, <laughs> and you know it's a tricky thing to kind of discern which ones are worth it and, and, and not worth it, and that's the tricky part as investors. Which ones are worth it and not worth it in the SaaS sector, guys? Any any companies in particular you like better than, say, Textura? Um, I, I, there's some of the uh, these new big data plays that I've been keeping an eye on, mm-hmm. like um, Tableau, Splunk. Um, I think they're they're pretty interesting. They're putting pretty pretty healthy growth figures. I wouldn't call them software as a service mm-hmm. um, per se, but you know they're they're looking on the the big data analytics, but they're creating plenty of platforms that are also very scalable. Right. Okay. One that's in the life sciences industry, you know, we're talking about these big pharma firms with these billion-dollar research budgets, mm-hmm. is Viva Systems, which really plays in that niche, which is really on my radar right now. Interesting. Okay. Anything else on your radar? It's Monday. We've got a lot of earnings to look forward to. Anything in particular you guys are watching? Social media is getting killed today. Oh, yeah? Uh, LinkedIn and Facebook in particular are usually down like 3 to 5%. Mm-hmm. No real news. Just continuing. You know, I, I mean, tech's been getting crushed for weeks, right. and those two names and also Twitter you know, have been really taken a beating and i mean linkedin literally hit a 52 week low today and it's now at 150 bucks and that's a very tempting i mean i already have i already own it yeah (laughs) but i mean 150 bucks for for linkedin i I think is a pretty solid price because i mean i I think it's like a 17 billion dollar company now what they're doing to revolutionize the job market like i think there's a lot of potential it's very interesting to you know see it pulling back to such lows i mean I think it peaked at like 250 or 260, and now it's back down to 150. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty mean pullback. Something to keep an eye on. All right, Simon, what about you? Yeah, Mark, I've got my eyes on CalAmp right now. You know, stock took a 24% drop uh, last week. I think that's a little bit of an overreaction by the market. Looking into the quarter right now and kind of kind of getting our, our our arms around what this company's doing. I think it's got a lot of potential going forward. Okay. All right, Simon Erickson, Evan you guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, you. Mark. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by none other than Anne Henry. I'm Mark Reef. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.